Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell. I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. Our guest today is Dr. Amy Yarrow, who now serves as the executive director of the Gretchen Swanson Center for Nutrition in Omaha, Nebraska. Before that, she served at the National Cancer Institute for six and a half years in Washington and was very involved in nutrition and obesity policy and funding research in those areas. She's one of the rare individuals who works at the intersection of different food-related areas, especially food insecurity and obesity. So she has a broad view that is quite rare in our field, and it'll be very interesting to hear from Amy about her ideas about how these things work together or could work together more effectively. So Amy, delighted to have you here. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Let's start with a concept that some people talk about that it'd be nice to hear you explain about food justice. Some people call it food democracy and the like. What does that concept mean? Well, it means that basically that all people, whether they be rich or, or they don't have as much money, that everyone has access to food and that they have access to nutritious, um, nutritious food. Okay. And so obviously this, is a, this doesn't necessarily occur in the United States, and food insecurity is a big issue. I'd like to talk about definitions first before we go into this. Um, food insecurity is a term that used to be used to be called hunger, and I think there were political reasons for the switch to food insecurity. But can you get, basically describe what the concept means? And I know there are ways that this officially gets measured by government, and I know you've been involved in thinking about how these things get measured. So I'd appreciate if you discuss what food insecurity meant, and then how do we know if people have it or not? Okay. Well, food insecurity is measured by the USDA, and um, and they measure it via uh, um, an 18-item um, questionnaire, or sometimes a six-item questionnaire, and it really falls into different categories. Whether you are food, um, you could be food insecure, which means that you have very low food security or low food security, or you could actually have more security. And and really what it boils down to is do you have access to food? Are you hungry? It, it really is what you're, what you're saying. I mean, hunger and, and food insecurity are synonymous. Okay. And how big of a problem is this in the U.S.? Well, it's a big problem in the U.S. right now. About 50 million people or so in 2011 come from food insecure households and eat some odd million our children. So, I mean, we, we do have an issue here. And so it, and I don't think we're necessarily capturing all the people who are food insecure. So that might be an underestimate. Yeah. You know, people, um, I think, automatically think of hunger and food insecurity as bad things that they think society should do something about, but they don't necessarily think about the cascade of problems that get created in a human life by not having enough food. Could you talk about some of those things and what kind of impacts that not having enough food can create on the life of an individual? Yeah, I mean, it, it's in, you know it's interesting because there's there is a cascade. I mean, someone who, for instance, you think about a kid who goes to school and um, hasn't eaten any breakfast, and it has to do with their performance in school. They're going to underperform. They are, they have lower cognition. You know, undernutrition, other just general health problems that that are associated with it. I mean, it's it is a cascading effect, and and it's pretty dramatic. And and then you know you have the overlap of people who are food insecure, but then you know then they're obese, and people say, well, how could you have both? And you can't have both because it it all boils down to poor dietary quality and not having access to healthy foods. Let's talk about that. Um, people talk in the developing world about the dual burden of obesity and hunger. And you wouldn't think that these things 
should occur in a country like the U.S., but they obviously do. So how can this happen? How can we live in a country that is as wealthy as we are and we have these two problems that would seem to be the opposites of one another, but in fact are not? Yeah, I mean, and I'm sure that you've had other guests on who talk about food deserts. I mean, we have areas where people live that they don't have access to, again, healthy and affordable foods. And so what happens is you have people who are on things like food assistance, so the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, SNAP, which is formerly food stamps. And when their benefits run out, they, you know, they, they're trying to get whatever food they're able to afford. And usually those are foods of poor dietary quality, so they're eating a lot of chips, soda, things like that. So probably at one point in the country's history, you could use low body weight as an index of, of food insecurity, but that's no longer the case because it could be high body weight that's an indication of it. Absolutely. There was actually, um, I guess, uh, about six months ago, an article came out in the Journal of Urban Health, and it talked about the population in Boston and that the population in Boston, the homeless population in Boston, that the obesity rates mirrored that of the general population. And when you have, you know, 30% of people who are homeless who are also obese, that's undeniable that we have a problem. It's really striking to hear a statistic like that. Uh, the term malnutrition is interesting in this context, and people usually think of this as undernutrition, but it could be construed more broadly, couldn't it? It could. I mean, when you think of mal, meaning bad, it's just bad nutrition, whether it be, you know, that you're not getting enough undernutrition or the actual nutrients you're getting are not nutritious. And so, again, synonymous, I hear them termed malnutrition term for obesity as well as food insecurity. Well, you've made the point, I'd like you to expand on this a bit, that there are worlds of people who care about these, these two issues we've talked about so far, and there are more we haven't talked about yet, but hunger and, on, and food insecurity on one hand and obesity on the other, that there are different agencies that may deal with them and different people care about them. Does it seem to you, as it does to me, that, that these groups aren't talking as much as they might or interacting and that there might be some benefit from more collaboration? Absolutely. I really do feel that we've had um, very singular movements in the United States. So we have, you know, the president wants to end childhood hunger by 2015, and there are organizations like Feeding America, Share Our Strength, um, Cooking Matters, and, you know, just groups that are working in the area of hunger. And then conversely, we have uh, groups like we have the First Ladies Let's Move campaign, and we have the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, which wants to reverse the trend for obesity by 2015, the same year. And and both of these groups are working in areas of nutrition, but they're not necessarily talking. And so they're running along in parallel when I think that really we could try and solve some of these, these problems together. So I do think that that is an issue, and I think that as we move ahead, we really need to think about them in conjunction. And then there really is a third area, too, which is the environmental consequences of food decisions. Explain why that's important, if you would. Well, the whole idea of our f food system. So right now, in, in my mind, I really think that we have a broken food system and that we you know, can somehow improve that and, as we, and, we, and take all parties into account and think about um, – you know, the environmental impact that we're having from the foods that we're choosing. But, you know, right now, for instance, um, when you think about pr uh, vegetable production in the, in the United States or crop production, we have an abundance of corn and soybeans and things like that that are being grown. If we could shift that to more what they call specialty crops, you know, normal fruits and vegetables, and, and again, um, not only have 
all people have access to those things, but also teach people the importance of eating those things. So the idea that, you know, fruits and vegetables, if you just hand people fruits and vegetables, they're not necessarily going to eat them. But teaching them how to cook and then also, you know, stressing the importance of eating these fruits and vegetables. So shifting norms to some extent. So something like teaching people to cook sounds like a completely reasonable thing to do. But practically, how would you do it? Like, is it is there room in the school curriculum to push this in? Uh, is there anybody who would pay for it to be done on a broad enough scale to really have a, a national impact? Um, how do you how do you think about taking what sounds like a good idea and making it practical? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I do think that you know, HOMEC is is. Uh, basically in the past, but the idea of we could incorporate into schools, I think that the likelihood is probably low because of all the other, you know, all the standards and all the other th- courses that need to be taught. But I think in after-school programs, I think in places like the Y and other places that are really trying to get on board with doing more healthful things. Um, I mentioned Share Our Strength, uh, their program, Cooking Matters, is specifically geared towards low-income people and teaching them, you know, how to cook nutritious foods. So let's go back to the concept that you introduced a moment ago of food systems. You said our food system is broken. What do you mean by a food system? Well, I mean our overall food system. So we have a large agricultural system in the United States, and right now it is, um, it's driven primarily by commodity crops as opposed to thinking about um, all the different things that fold into a food system. So um, I say it's broken because right now – in general, most people don't know who their farmer is, and getting to know who your farmer is and where your food comes from, I think it's, it's really important. I know my farmers by name, my farmers and ranchers, and, and I go to them and I ask them the questions about where my food's coming from. I don't worry about contamination in any of my food because I know exactly where it's coming from, and I know that I'm also giving back to the local economy, which is really important. Do you see this as a growing trend? People like that you're one of the people at the forefront of a movement that's building in any event. I sure hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, do you think you see signs that more and more people are caring I, about these things? I do, and I see that through, for instance, um, the formation of food policy councils, which has become really big in the U.S. Um, I, I really have seen a trend, I'd say, definitely over the last five years. I mean, I actually saw a New York Times article. It was a little... Um, disappointed because it talked about saturation of farmers markets. I don't think it's a saturation as much as it is we need to put farmers markets in places where they, you know, in low-income neighborhoods where they need to be. So I do think there is a saturation maybe in higher-income neighborhoods. But I think that there is a trend towards um, going more local, and, and I'm hoping that trend will trickle down again so that all populations are able to take advantage of it. Okay, so there's some evidence that there's there's change occurring at the grassroots level that more more people are caring about the story of their food and where it came from and how it was produced and who the farmer was and things like that. But I guess even by any standard, it's still a relatively small percentage of the population. Certainly in some parts of the country, that's the case. How do we make that go faster? How do we build that into a, a movement that is is larger and takes control of these food issues on you know, sooner rather than later? 
I do think it is mainly grassroots at this point. Um, and I think these food policy councils, the difference with food policy councils is that they're enacted differently. So some are enacted at the county level, some at the state level, um, some not government at all. So I think the more that we could get actually government entities involved, the better. Because again, the idea of taking it from the ground and taking it up to the top so that the, the top then is able to push it back down again so that it is a two-way street sort of thing. One of the nice things about the way you thought about this is that this isn't just a concept, but you've actually thought about specific policy things that might be done in order to accomplish some of these goals. Can you give me some examples of some of the things you would favor having done? Well, I do think that um, from a policy perspective that we need to, again, think about where we could bring other sectors to the table. So the idea of transportation and, you know, not just the usual suspects with regard to, to food, but also physical activity. Um, and again, it was what I said before that we need to think broadly about um, who, who we could get at the table who don't, they don't necessarily sit at the table together, but who have impact in, in their own worlds. So in obesity prevention and, and food insecurity, but together have more of a synergistic effect. I think that right now we're not capitalizing on it because again, it's been more singular. So. Okay, so bringing people together who ordinarily aren't talking would be a virtuous thing to do and might help move us forward. What about things like changing the prices of food? Um, I think that that would, I mean, obviously, definitely incentivizing healthy food, um, taxing or de-incentivizing um, unhealthy foods. I think that that is, def I believe in that. I think that's the route to go. Do you think that if the, something like this were done and the prices of fruits and vegetables were lowered, for example, that that would increase consumption enough? I don't think in and of itself it would, and that's probably because I'm trained more in individual level approaches. I think that that in conjunction with education, and so I mean, it's just not the whole idea that if you, know, if you build it, they will come. You need to actually um, teach people why they should be eating these things, and also taste is an issue, and maybe they haven't had good tasting fruits and vegetables. So it, it needs to be you know, something that's done in tandem. Well, let's loop back to the question that I sort of got at before is, how, how will we ever be able to do enough of this education or who will pay for it in order to have the desired effect? Yeah, I mean, that is a good question. I, I think that unfortunately the government is, is not willing at this point to put the money in. I mean, we've had programs like Five a Day, which is now Fruits and Veggies, More Matters, terrific programs, but I think that um, others are going to have to step up to the table and help and, and who those might be, other um, you know, investors. But uh, I mean, I, I think that it is going to be a difficult, I, I do see it as an uphill battle. You know, one thing I've, I've often wondered is, certainly you might get particular donors interested in supporting this or foundations or something, which would be really good. But I wonder if, for example, the nation's employers might band together and put together pools of money to do something like this, because they're very concerned about having a, a workplace that's has lost productivity and high health care costs because of obesity. Hunger is obviously going to have a big impact on those things, too. If children can't learn in schools, then they can't be adequately trained for good places in the job market. And it would just seem like the nation's employers would have a lot of reason to do something like this if they could act in concert with one another. But I haven't seen any evidence that anybody's trying to bring them together around it. I haven't like seen this. evidence of it either, though I think it is a really good route to be thinking of going down. I mean, I do see individual companies that 
invest in their employees. And one of the things that I, areas that I work on at my center is farm to institution. And so you do have some um, big companies around Omaha that are interested in having farmers markets on site. So I think that that's one way to go and, and hope to see more of that. But I think there is no like governing or body or group that's kind of pulling these these different groups together. And I think that's what's needed in order to have, you know, large scale change. What is your opinion of the highly visible um, programs like Let's Move, sponsored by Michelle Obama? I mean, I think it, it, it's a great program that is um, increasing awareness. And I mean, even you flip on the Disney Channel and you see Michelle Obama and she's doing uh, jumping jacks. And so, I mean, I think that it is, it's really good. I mean, as I said, I, I wish that there could be more, um, more done in conjunction with her husband's initiative for, you know, ending hunger. And so it just seems to me that it is, it is very one-sided and it needs to be more integrated. So maybe a last question as you peer forward and think about the future. Are you optimistic about where things are going? I am. I, I am optimistic. I, I, um, I would like to see changes happen in my lifetime. Um, and I am optimistic because I do feel like there's been change, for instance, in the area of um, food systems, especially over the last five years. And I, I'm hopeful that we will kind of work in conjunction and try to get people, again, at the, at the, at the same table to talk about some of these issues and moving ahead. Good. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me here. Our guest today was Dr. Amy Yarrow, Executive Director of the Gretchen Swanson Center for Nutrition in Omaha, Nebraska. Please visit our website, www.yalerudcenter.org. There you'll find a tremendous amount of information on food and food policy issues, an email letter we dispatch out regularly about breaking issues in the field, and, of course, links to the uh, other excellent podcasts that we've recorded over the years. Thank you.